Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Thomas Yackel about his bike ride from Berlin to India. But Thomas's journey was not just about going from Berlin to India— but about continuing to move in the right direction and taking action on his bold ideas. He joins us to talk about what it takes and everything he's learned. Thomas, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks, Trini, for inviting. Yeah, so I, I came across you by our uh, by way of our mutual friend, Yana, and you know she told me uh, your story, and I remember when I got the email, uh, I saw one line in there said, rode a bike from Berlin to India. And I thought, okay, that's a story I want to tell. So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your journey, uh, your story and your background and how that has led you to what you're up to in the world today? Sure, of course. Um, I think I have to go back a little um, because, I mean, I didn't, I didn't um, come right out of university or out of my mother's womb with the idea to cycle to India. You know, it hit me kind of spontaneous. Uh, and the events that led up to the decision to cycle to India mm-hmm. uh, were not like a straight line or such a clear path. So um, I'm from Berlin. I grew up in Berlin. And um, in 2002, I, I did like an exchange year in, in the United States. And that was the first time that I really kind of got to know the wild world. And after that, I've been always interested in traveling and also I stayed in an entrepreneurial family so the idea of actually owning something and building something and doing something on your own you know that was the first time I kind of got in touch with that and it was really exciting to me and after doing my A-levels here in Germany um, I did a civil service in Honduras kind of taking the next good chance to see the world and learn languages and um, there became even clearer to me that I needed to go in the entrepreneurial direction and that I wanted to do something on my own. And um, back then, for me, the, the clearest path was, um, okay, you want to learn about entrepreneurship, then study business administration at the university. Surely they must teach you something about how to start a business, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, that wasn't a very good choice, not very, not very smart. Actually, I... I wouldn't say I wasted three years of my life, but um, I learned a bunch of stuff. I, I improved my drinking skills, <laughs> everything, you know, but 
coming out of the university, I definitely did not know how to start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, after university, I thought, okay, now I do the second smartest thing that I learned that you should probably do when you want to start a business. I'm going to write a business plan. So <laughs> I had this wonderful idea to make uh, money with a micropayment service um, that, where I would have a margin of one cent per transaction, you know, very smart thing to do when you start out. Mm-hmm. And um, So I sat down and wrote a business plan for three months. And after the three months, I had a business plan, but I still really didn't know how to start a business. Um, I still didn't have a website up. I still didn't have any clients. Uh, and I kind of started running out of money. So I live with my mom and um, actually I went to a few job interviews and you know that you can charge them for, um, for going there for the journey. Mm-hmm. So I kind of figured out ways to get there really cheap, hitchhiking or stuff like that, you know, and then I would charge them just so I could cover the next month because I really wanted to start something, you know, mm-hmm. looking back on it, it's kind of bananas. But back then I thought it was just a way to, to hustle through the hard times. Um, and then I, then I read two very important books and I met a very important person there. The two books that I read is the four hour work week. I'm, I'm sure you, yep. you know it. And, um, that kind of got me thinking, okay, there's actually, that, that, that was the first time that I saw a reasonable way to start a business, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, also that was the first time that I saw that you don't need a lot of money to make things happen. Um, and then there's a German book. It's called Kopfschle Kapital, which means, um, um, Think, um, thinking over capital or that yeah, by, by thinking about um, ideas, by finding um, good solutions, creative solutions, that's much more valuable than having a lot of money mm-hmm. without the creativity. Um, and I met my, my current business partner, Bastian. Uh, right now we have an outsourcing company with 35 full-time employees. Um, they're located in Bulgaria, Romania, uh, Latin America, and those are virtual personal assistants, so um, they're, they're German-speaking, and we have a bunch of clients, um, that SMEs, that give us all kinds of tasks, research and data bank entries and all this, all this kind of things that VPAs do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I'm, actually, I sat down with Bastian, and um, he was, he was a more advanced on the, on the entrepreneurial ladder, let's say. He had already started the business, he had the first clients, and he has asked me whether I wanted to join him because I th- maybe he had pity on me, you know, because he saw my struggle. And, <laughs> and um, so I said, yeah, of course, I, I joined him and I became a partner in his business. And he was also the one that gave me the four-hour work week. So when we started working together, we um, decided that we wanted to build a business that gives us income but leaves us enough time to follow our our passions, our dreams, and not to hustle for the 1 million exit or the 10 million exit. Um, yeah. Mm. So with this mission in mind, we, um, we grew the company relatively quickly um, so that we had the income side covered. But um, we were still working these 60-hour weeks, these 70, 80-hour weeks. Um, and it kind of got to the point where we said, ah, that was not the point of it. it actually, it went quite fast. Those were like five months of good growth and mm-hmm. after that we said okay that that was not the plan um so we bought two tickets to brazil and decided to do a road trip <laughs> so that we wouldn't be able to work on our laptops for some time mm-hmm. uh, kind of an 
as a deadline to automate the business and um, delegate functions to our employees and all this. Everything worked out a little bit different. Um, Bastian, he needed an eye operation, so he was literally blind for a couple of weeks, so he definitely couldn't work, and I took my flight to Brazil, and I stayed there for half a year um, traveling around the country, so I didn't really work. Mm. And the, the automation side actually worked quite well, so we didn't really have to work on our business all the time. And that is also what gave me the freedom to later do the bike tour, but um, coming back to Germany, we, we started, um, actually, yeah, what, what did we do? We, we started passing on our ideas and what we learned in a, in a sort of, um, startup weekend where we would help people to, um, develop their idea, bootstrap, um, an infrastructure, uh, do marketing with, even if they didn't have a budget and to start building their own lifestyle businesses. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was traveling a lot we we used to grab very cheap flights off the internet they are very very good sites where you find um flights all over the world and one of these flights was to india and i think it cost around 200 200 dollars from germany to india to and fro and um so we just went for a short trip there mm -hmm. and when i got back to germany i was on google maps Looking, looking at Google Maps, I thought, man, I really need to cycle to India. And it, it, I didn't think it, but it sort of hit me. You know, I was just like, oh, I need to do this. And I was jumping around my kitchen like crazy. Um, and after these five minutes of extreme ex ecstasy and excitement, I kind of thought, ah, oh, what will my business partner say about that? You know, what will my family say? And um, so kind of reality, let's say, that uh, set in. Um, and before it set in too too fast on me, I just posted it to Facebook that I was cycling my bike to India, you know, to kind of get some pressure behind me. Uh -huh. And, yeah, actually, um, Bastian was fine with it. I talked with him. Um, he, he was actually planning on doing a trip to China and practicing Kung Fu somewhere in the mountains. <laughs> And so he was doing the same thing, you know, just somewhere else. And um, for me, I I was starting to organize this bike tour. And um, at the same time, I always wanted to start a social business. So I started thinking about how to connect this uh, bike tour to a social cause, to a humanitarian cause, or maybe to a social business. So I started contacting a few people. And um, one of the guys that I talked to, I knew from the basketball um, court, and he had been telling me that he has been interested in toilets ever since he went went to high school, you know, and <laughs> told me, ah, toilets, this and that, and back then I just sort of noticed, and I thought, well, interesting, you know, different hobby, cool, um, <laughs> but then... Um, then I, I thought, okay, that, that might really work and it sort of fit into the idea of starting a social business because um, you can probably build a social business around a school or something, um, but a toilet seemed easier to me. Start, a, start building a social business around toilets. And, I, and when we um, were in India for the first time on our um, holiday, that is actually also when I really got in contact with this um, sanitation issue there because taking the train from uh, from Mumbai to Goa, I saw a lot of people just doing their business at the road um, at the railroad tracks, 
And then I started reading more into this issue. And yeah, so I contacted him and asked him whether he would like to do a project in India with me. And he said yes. And um, we started contacting other NGOs. So there's, a, there's an organization here in Germany that's called the German Toilet Organization. Very easy to find on Google, Googling for Germany and toilets. And um, I started contacting them and asked them whether they had some connection to India. Mm. <coughs> and they actually pointed us to an NGO there um, that had already built ecological toilets. Um, so within a few months, I think four months, we put together this um, project in India. We had cooperation partners. I found a sponsor for the bikes. I let our virtual personal assistants um, look for sponsors. And um, and I had a team. I got a got a small team together. And um, the team consisted of uh, a South African um, lawyer, and uh, she actually I met her on the street uh, one Friday fr Friday night. I was going to a party, and we started talking. We didn't know each other, and. A couple of weeks later, um, I told her, hey, Moshimi, I'm, I'm going to cycle to India. And I don't know, she probably had a few Federweiser too much. And I asked her, hey, you want to come along? And I really didn't know her. You know, I really, we, we just Skyped or chatted on Facebook. And she said, well, why not? You know, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I have to become more careful with who I ask. You know, I cannot just randomly ask people. I thought they would all say, no, never, ever. You're crazy. <laughs> You know, then all of a sudden more people wanted to come along and I was like, okay, you, I, I should really stop asking people. You know? uh -huh. um, and I asked another friend of mine who I who had uh, been working with in Honduras and he, um, I know that he just finished his studies and that he had a camera. So I asked him to film whether he would be able to film the tour and he also agreed. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe, maybe he had a few beer too much. I'm not sure. What, what made people sign up. Mm. Um, but then in April, so four to five months after the, the initial idea, we started off cycling towards India. Yeah, that is how, how we started this wow. journey. So a lot of questions, as you, as you might imagine. Uh, I want to go back to the very beginning. And, right. uh, you know, one of the things that actually interests me, and, and believe it or not, this actually is something that came from Jana, uh, I'm really curious about how growing up in Berlin, uh, in the time that you did has really influenced and shaped your view on the world, on, on business and life and, and kind of everything. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Mm. You know, I grew up in East Berlin and my mom is actually from the East and I was born before the wall was down. And um, I think my mom, she has sort of this, sometimes she has this sort of scarcity thinking, you know. Um, we would save stuff that now we would probably just throw away, you know, because in, in the old DDR in Eastern Germany, you, it was hard to find certain things, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so people were trading much more, they were saving stuff, they were repairing stuff that now is just garbage. And I think um, maybe this has sort of influenced me in a way that um th that i that i see both sides for example when i went to the united states you know there was um it's no problem you think big you know you can have everything and this and <laughs> when i talk to my mom i don't always encounter this perspective uh which is which kind of gives me a balanced view you know i think i think and um also i just grew up with my mom mm -hmm. and 
in my um, I'm I'm mixed. So my my father is from Congo in Africa, um, but I have never been to Africa, and I didn't grow up with my father. He died when I was young. So in Berlin, I was kind of looking for my identity until I was 16 years old or so, and. There, there aren't actually back then there weren't too many black people around, you know, and I, <laughs> I was sort of the only, only colored guy on the block. Mm. So, those are some of the things. Um, Berlin has always been very dynamic, so there was always a lot of music. Um, I went out when I was really relatively young, so I think I, I started going to clubs when I was twelve or so, and um, yeah, what. It's difficult. That's a difficult question, Srini. <laughs> I'm so in it that it's like, okay, what, what kind of aspects do I have to think about here? Yeah, yeah. Um, but well, it's a very alternative city, and right now it's, um, it's a startup city, and um, I think this has also a very positive impact because I can be in my, my home city. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm able to um, hang out with a crowd that I really enjoy and people that are doing things, and yeah. You know, uh, that actually brings up more questions specifically uh, about that time and, and really kind of something that I'm very curious about. You know, it, it's interesting. You said, you know, you, you kind of raised with this scarcity mindset uh, and it's kind of the narrative that you're brought up with and yet you overcame it. And I think that to some, all de- to, to, to some degree, we all have sort of conflicting narratives with the families that we've been raised in. Uh, maybe we all don't. I mean, I, I know I do to some degree. And I'm really curious, you know, how you suggest overcoming that or how do you separate yourself from the past narrative of, of scarcity to create a new one of abundance? Um, yeah, how do you do that? I think traveling is a is a very good way to do that, you know. Mm. Uh, every time you travel, you're really out there and um, it's yeah, you you're more confronted with with the perspective of other people, and you um, also you have some distance between your normal surroundings and what the people there believe and the impressions that you that you have. And normally they're very strong. So I think that's that's some an experience that can shift and alter the way you the way you think. Um, another another thing to or another way to overcome. This thinking. I mean, you, you sort of have to know, I, I think, in which kind of direction you want to move or there has to be some sort of lucky instance or so, so to say, that um, will help you to see that other people live differently or do things differently or that there are maybe other options and then you can decide for yourself whether you want to pursue this and then you can find mentors and make friends and uh, move to cities where you think this um, your drive can somehow be um, satisfied to to make more of this kind of experiences. Hmm. You know, the other thing that came up for me uh, was when you talked about this sense of trying to find your identity being, you know, a, a colored person in Germany. And the question becomes, that search for identity and what that process looks like, because I think to some degree we lose whatever our identity is uh, as we become informed by the world around us, by narratives that we're told from the culture, from media, from parents, whatever it might be. And I guess that the question is, is sort of 
going through a process of self-discovery to really find what your true identity is and what that looks like and what you suggest people might do for that? Mm -hmm. Let me think about this question. Two seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, back then when I, when I grew up, it was always, I was confronted with what other people thought um, or the, the kind of, a scheme that I would fall into. So they would say, oh, you, especially, I mean, the, the youth that I was hanging out also. So they would say, oh, you're, you're black, so you probably play basketball. And actually, I did play basketball, you know, not, but not because I was black. I just enjoyed playing basketball. And, oh, you're black, you probably do rap music, right? And actually, at that time, I had just started a rap band. And um, <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, dang, again, you know? And... Um, these kind of these kind of stereotypes that I fit into, but when I when I went to the United States, um, I stayed with a Mormon family in Pennsylvania, and they were black, um, but they didn't they didn't actually fit my stereotypes <laughs> of most of the of the black family in the United States. You know that uh-huh. not a typical black family, let's say. And coming back from the United States, seeing that you know. I mean, we, we all have a skin color, but in the end, you know, there is no black stereotype person, you know, this kind of thing lost. I, I kind of lost interest in belonging to any specific group other than the group that I, that did things that I wanted to do, you know, and that had a lifestyle um, the way I wanted to do. But I don't, right now, I don't think I necessarily um, need a group that I belong to and that shapes my identity. So... Again, for me, it was traveling and seeing other perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can also, I mean, if, once, you are, once you are happy with yourself and who you are and you have some, you have some self-confidence and some connection to your, to your inner side, you know, mm-hmm. then you don't need to be so much on the, on the outside and you don't have to belong to, to this or that group, you know. I mean, it's it's nice to have people around you and to be able to hang out with groups, but it it doesn't give you such a sense of identity anymore. I think if you have other roots, you know, they they lie on the inside. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, I love that, man. That is so true. I mean, when your identity and, and everything comes from within and it's really the truth of who you are, uh, you just show up in the world very differently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hmm. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's talk about this idea of uh, action because one of the things that I, I noticed throughout sort of the earlier part of your story is how many things you kept doing to avoid real action. You know, uh, hmm. having gone to business school myself, uh, I understand the, the reality of the fact that business school teaches you absolutely nothing about how to run a business. Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting to me is that Every one of those things you did, business school, the business plan, uh, were ways of avoiding taking some sort of action that was a risk that could lead to failure. And then you finally overcame it. And so two questions come from that. Mm -hmm. One is sort of, um, you know, fighting that battle internally and and what you think it is that keeps people in that trap of planning and getting all their ducks in a row and all of that and then the <laughs> second question becomes okay fine you know what you see that all i'm doing is spinning my wheels how do you get to that next step and say okay i have you just take action at some point and i'm really curious about both of those things yeah um okay the, what first of all what what keeps you in that in that loop where you don't really do anything um I think it was for me were several things, and maybe they are even true now. But back then, um, for example, I'm I'm quite risk averse. You know, other people would disagree because I cycled my bike to India, and I by now I started twelve projects, and some of them failed, some of them exist and uh, run well. But um, I'm still I consider myself relatively risk averse, mm. and back then I had the notion that. To start a business, you need tens of thousands of euros or dollars to start something, you know. So, and I wasn't willing to take out a credit 
um, to start a company. I, I doubt that any bank would have given me a credit anyways, but um, <laughs> you know, in my, in my mind, I had a, a completely wrong pictures or picture of what it would take to, to start a company. So one thing uh, I believe is education and the right information, practical information and not just theory, you know, mm. because what I learned in university is, um, how to, okay, at least they told us how you would, how you could allocate a one million dollar, um, advertising or marketing budget, you know, but when you, when you start your first project, that is of no help at all to you, you know, you, you need to know what can I do with my hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or how can I get someone to give me 10,000 bucks or whatever. So I, I was just lacking information mm-hmm. and I didn't have a specific plan um, how to get the information, you know. Um, now, if I want to do something, um, I would probably ask myself first, okay, I don't really know how to do this and I still want to do it. And if I don't get the right information, I will just keep on talking about it and postpone and postpone and postpone. So where do I get the right information? Mm-hmm. And I mean, information is really available all around us and it's not hard to get it. So um, you can start reading the right books, you know, of people that actually went the way that you want to take or took a route that you want to take. Um, you can look for groups and of people that do things that you are interested in and join them. You can go to seminars or workshops or whatever. Um, but back then, it just wasn't on my radar or I was lazy or I don't, I don't know. You know, I just didn't have the right information. Um, so, so the risk thing, for sure. Um, the other thing is also that I, my mindset was that there are people who can do that and there are people who can't. And I sort of saw myself in that second group. I sort of doubted my, my um, capacity for learning. Mm. I knew that I could be very good in school. I knew that I could uh, learn languages and I knew that I could go to university and get my diploma. But I doubted my, my practical ability to start something. And um, that because I, in, in, in school or university, I never, ever learned how to do something practical, you know, mm-hmm. be it setting a website, up a website or getting PR or get into press or, um, or selling something. I just didn't have that. Um, I never had a, a reference, an experience that would say, oh, you can actually do that. And all these, all these guides that tell you, oh, you are the startup type of of person and you are not because um, you don't want to work 12 hour days, you know, you don't want to do this and that and this and that and you don't want to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, they also told you, ah, oh, I'm probably not that entrepreneurial type of person, you know. Mm. Um, so I think a change in mindset was required for me to, to have this experience. Of course, I'm, I'm that person that can also learn how to do things in a practical in a practical um, reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to redefine for myself what is risk, you know. And once, once these steps were taken and I could actually see that with very little money, I, I had the information and I changed my mindset, then right now it's just become a bunch of fun. It's become a roller coaster ride and I really enjoy it, you know. Mm. Well, let's do this. Let's shift gears and let's get into uh, the bike ride. Uh, okay. So a couple of different questions come from that. I love that you mentioned, you just put it out on Facebook that, Hey, I'm going to ride a bike 
from Berlin to India. And I think there's something really interesting that happens when you announce that you're going to do something to the world, suddenly you're held accountable to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And even if it's batshit crazy, like I'm going to ride my bike from Berlin to India. And I have to ask you, do you think there's something internally built into somebody like you that has the capacity to make such a bold statement or take uh, such a bold statement? And do you think that's something that can be cultivated uh, by other people? Um, I think it can definitely be cultivated. Um, it's not. It's not just me. And actually, normally I'm not that. I'm. I'm not the sort of person, or I, at least I wasn't the sort of person I would just put out these big challenges, you know, and then try to draw everyone's attention to it mm -hmm. and put myself under a hell of a pressure um, to actually um, do the things that I said. <clears throat> but those are also things that I sort of learned. For example, my, my friend and business partner, Bastian, um, we, we have an, someone else in our team, and he, he's, he's been talking about um, ages, about starting his business and having an automated income. He, was having, he had an income as a freelancer, but he wanted to start his business. And Bastian challenged him, okay, um, you have one month to have your first thousand euros per month coming in through that business, or you're going to invite all of us to Istanbul, you know, for a week. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> and the, the guy said, okay, yes, because he knew that was probably the only way that would put enough pressure on him to get this thing done and to do it. Mm. And, um, and he got it done. So he didn't have to invite us and we all celebrated his little success. Um, but in the end, I think it's, first of all, you, you can start, um, to learn that you, with these challenges that they can help you. Mm -hmm. And then you cultivate them more and more and more. And it might also depend on how much you really want something. And if you really want, want to do it and you realize that without having some sort of pressure on yourself, you might never achieve it. Mm. Um, then I think it's, okay, how much do I love this goal and this thing? And um, then you will just do it. And actually, even when I put it out on Facebook, I knew, okay, I don't want to let down the people and I have some accountability. But in the end, you know, I always know if, if I think it's too dangerous or something happens, I can always pull back. Then I have to well, it's it's going to be embarrassing, maybe a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's never it's never that there are no more options. I think you know you always even then you would have the option to say no. Mm. So it's it just a, you just put a higher price on that decision to say no, and I think that's that's fair enough. Wow. So I want to get into the bike ride itself, but I want to ask one more question uh, mm -hmm. before that. And this is a question about enrolling people in a vision and getting people to come along. Uh, it, it's funny to me that you said you just started asking people to join you, even though you had no idea that so many would say yes. Yeah. And I guess my question really is when you have a mission, when you have a purpose, uh, when you have something like this that's bold and crazy that you want to accomplish – how do you get other people to buy into your vision? Because I think that's such a fundamental part of accomplishing anything of great significance. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, you know, when you have this big vision, uh, you, first of all, I, I knew that it created 
some serious enthusiasm in myself, you know. So it was big enough to excite me. And if that's the case, then I have the confidence that it will also create a sort of enthusiasm in other people. Um, if it doesn't, that could either be that I'm asking the wrong people because they have no, you know, they just have no connection to this sort of um, goal. For example, if I have this goal to run an ultra marathon all over the African continent and something, something like that, and I ask someone that is absolutely not interested in sports, you know, it will be difficult to, <laughs> to get them to jump on board on this mission. Um, but if they have some relation to that, I think then, then there's a high probability that people will like it. Um, I think most, in most cases, we, people don't speak about their big visions often enough, and then they don't get the support um, that could propel them forward, and they don't get the other people to open doors for them because they don't know about their vision. You know, so I think, I mean, I probably talked about other big projects for myself and um, maybe some other people did not jump on board and my own enthusiasm sort of faded. Mm. But um, then there are also things where just today I, I was talking about a project with some friends and, you know, it was just became an email ping pong and now we have this next project lined up and it was really exciting. Um, and I could just, it got momentum from the reaction of the other people and them bringing in ideas. Yeah. And another thing is maybe um, the vision is just not big enough. You know, um, maybe you just add a zero in the end uh, and it might be much more interesting to people or you just think it a little bit bigger and it could become way more, yeah, way more interesting to other people to join. For example, if I said I want to ride to Munich from Berlin to Munich, <laughs> you know, I doubt that people would have, taken so much time, you know, uh, brought up a camera and tried to organize resources, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the, maybe the key thing that you said there is, is genuine enthusiasm about what it is that you're up to, because I think that enthusiasm is infectious. People can feel it. Yeah. If you yeah. do something uh, just because you think it'll be interesting or other people will, you know, find it admirable, that's a different story. Whereas if it comes from the heart, really, and your heart is truly in it, I think people can feel that. Yeah, that's actually that's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the ride itself. Uh, mm -hmm. Going from Berlin to India on a bike. I mean, most people will get on an airplane to make that kind of a journey because it's not very practical to take a bike. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to talk about the challenges of the journey, uh, what you found that you didn't expect, what surprised you, uh, and, and how you yourself have been transformed by that whole journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, it's not the most practical thing to do. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You know, um, the first 10 days just from Berlin to Passau, which is another city in Berlin, it's about 600 kilometers, so we were very slow the first 10 days. Normally, you would do that in four hours in a car ride, you know. Mm. And um, after 10 days, you're like, wow, I just made these four-hour car ride, you know, Ugh, you know, you're just kind of, oh, wow. Um, for me, w one of the things that I realized is, you know, you, you have this big idea, we're going to cycle to India, and back then it was just absolutely crazy for, my, for me. Um, but then, again, you just have to take the first step, you know. So um, on the evening before we left, uh, I was a bit nervous, but... What I had to do is actually just 
check out where we would camp the next night, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you get on your bike and you slowly start cycling and you cycle out of the city. You can feel, okay, my legs are still there, you know, I still have the power to do the next kilometer. And yeah, just you just move forward. It's actually just about the movement in the right direction. And um, it, yeah, at, at some point you will probably arrive, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you just continue doing the right thing <laughs> um, and moving in the right direction. Mm. Uh, one of the things that has most transformed me on this ride, um, actually there, there are several things, but one of the things that I learned or that was very good for me is that um, Motion Me, the girl, was also on the team. And when we started in Berlin, I was a bit in a hurry because I wanted to get to India, you know, mm. um, before they started building the toilets there and all this. So uh, I started putting <laughs> I started putting some time pressure on the on the entire team, just cycling out of Berlin. And um, Moshimi, she wasn't in the best shape, you know. Mm. And only after four days, then we were already in, in the Czech Republic, um, I started realizing that it gets me nowhere um, to be stressed out all the time, you know. So I, I took off the I took off my watch. I took off the the, um, the thing that shows you the speed on the bike, and I just said, "Okay, you know, it just doesn't matter. I we're just gonna go in the right direction, mm. and at some point we will get there." And from that moment on, I really started enjoying the ride itself, you know. And um, before or the, the first four days, it was more of a a race, you know, a race against some idea in my head, you know, that we would have to arrived there this time and this time and when I stopped being this control freak you know and trying to push everybody it um, got much more enjoyable for myself and the team I'm sure <laughs> so I, I, I stopped being the dictator on the team yeah that's that's actually interesting you say that it, it reminds me of uh, something a good friend of mine from college always tells me when I ask her uh, or talk to her about the different stages uh where people are at, like where my friends are at in my life and where I'm at. And uh -huh. she always says, Srini, it's not a race. What are you going to do? Race to the death? Yeah. Yeah. And, Absolutely true. and you know, and it's, it's true because we, we do get caught up in trying to get to our destination so quickly that we kind of stop. We, we forget to actually enjoy it along yeah. the way. Absolutely true. Actually, I stopped, you know, I really, I really like the people that I went to university with, mm. but um, oftentimes I don't, I don't really enjoy going to the alumni meetups because um, there is a sort of a tendency to compare, you know, yeah. to compare this and to compare that. And, it, you know, it's just so enjoyable when I'm with my friends and we all do projects, but we, we, we don't compare, we don't compare our income. We just sort of enjoy doing things, you know. And it's for me personally, life has become a lot lighter and nicer <laughs> since there's not this constant comparison around salaries and this and that. And um, yeah, it's become more sincere, you know, mm -hmm. and move closer to what I really want to do. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this what were the, the challenges and unexpected parts of this journey? I and mean, were there points where it became very difficult or painful or, or what kinds of, of things did you, obstacles did you encounter that were unexpected? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the, one of the obstacles was, um, you know, you know, team dynamics. It's, it's a, 
it's a it's a very interesting thing. Um, the, the team that I that I put together didn't know they, the team members didn't know each other before the ride, so they sort of got here on launch day, you know, and said, "Hey, nice to meet you. Cool, we're gonna take off to India. Yeah, let's go." And um, we sort of got to know each other on the ride. So I knew everyone a little bit, you know, but they didn't know each other and we were four people. And in Istanbul, my, my friend, the guy with the camera, he said, okay, maybe, maybe Berlin to Istanbul is not too bad. Maybe I should stop here. You know, I was like, ah, mm, this is not going to make a good movie, you know, because he got the camera. And if we stop in Istanbul, it's not going to, it's not going to be great. Um, so, so we had a talk and, um, in the end, Actually, I started focusing again on, on the mission and why we were doing it. Um, and that it was not just about cycling and having some fun, but also about the sanitation project, the toilet project that we wanted to support in India. Um, and then the, the team dynamics also got a little bit better. Also, I distributed some audiobooks, um, to the, some, some spiritual material <laughs> to the team, and it kind of calmed down each of us. And it was, it was much easier to communicate when we all... Um, stopped, or at least our ego was um, put to put to silence a little bit more. So it became a much better team dynamic. Um, another challenge um, was that um, Moshimi, the, the girl, she didn't have a visa for Pakistan. Um, so in the end, she had to fly from Iran to India. Um, the, my friend with the camera. Um, shortly before we got to Tehran, he got a he got a call from some guys he know, knew in Brazil that he would be allowed to play the alien in a Brazilian short film, you know, and that opportunity was so good for him that he um, decided to fly to um, Rio or to Sao Paulo and be an alien in their movie just for two weeks and then he would meet us back in Pakistan. So these kind of unforeseeable things, you know, mm. um, they came up all the time. But by then I was zen enough to just have a good laugh, you know, and <laughs> um, <laughs> just kind of keep going and it was cool um then the actually in berlin my brother died in a motorbike accident um so that came up as a as a sort of a challenge um and i had this discussion with my mom whether um whether it was okay for me to cycle to india because i actually i thought this was would also be what my what my brother would like me to do mm. and um only when i came back to germany we we had his funeral and yeah, all, all kinds of things in life that you just cannot foresee, you know, and they got all cramped into these uh, five and a half months on the road. Hmm. Tell me about the moment when you arrived in India. Mm -hmm. The moment that we arrived in India actually wasn't that spectacular, I have to tell you. <laughs> you know? Somehow I, mean, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> what say again somehow i had a feeling you were gonna say that <laughs> i know it's really it's really about the, the way and not so much about reaching that point i mean it was it was nice to it was it was probably a good facebook post you know it got a lot of likes and all that and um and it felt good but it didn't feel better than many of the moments um on the road you know mm. and um maybe even it was a little bit ah it's over. It was was actually quite cool to cycle. I could cycle for a little bit more, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah. <laughs> actually, 
So, so let's talk about that. Uh, the idea that this just epic quest, um, this epic journey is over. Uh, you know, when we did our annual event, the instigator experience last year, uh, I'd wanted it more than anything I'd ever wanted in my life. And those are two of the most amazing days of my life. And shortly after I found that there was this huge void, uh, like something was missing. So I guess my question, you know, and we had a guy named Tyler Colson here who walked a dog across America. Uh, and then he came back. I'm really curious what the process of integrating back into normal day-to-day life has been like for you. Uh, and what the challenges have been with that, because I don't imagine you go from this to normal and normal seems, you know, uncomfortable, uh, isn't uncomfortable. Yeah. Actually, just when when we arrived in India, I still had, there was still a bunch of work to do. So um, it was fine. It was not rolling over the border and then this void. Um, but coming back to Berlin and being with my family again, um, that was, that was different. It was not a void, um, but there was still the loss of my brother and I just, I just actually, I kind of enjoyed the time. Um, it was winter then, you know, it was around November or December. And I just enjoyed being at home, meditating, chilling, running, running, running quite a lot. And um, planning, I, I was, actually, I started looking for new challenges here in Berlin. And um, fortunately, since I was, w- was doing some projects, um, it was easy to set up a new a challenge within these projects, um, but I also wanted to take some time, at least a few few months and weeks, um, to kind of just let it be, you know, to mm-hmm. just not not to overwrite this experience um, immediately with the next big thing. Yeah. Um, but w- what is definitely true is that after, you know, I can. I sort of remember the excitement when I had the idea of cycling to India. Mm. And um, now, this, this year, we hitchhiked to India, uh, a different route, and we, made a, we are working on a documentary about it, and it's again for a charitable project. But although I really enjoyed the tour this year, there was not this innate excitement about it, you know? Yeah. There was not this... I mean, I'm quite sure there will be, or there will probably be other projects or things that get me pumped up, like the, the idea of cycling to India. But did, 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 and now I have a reference point of what is a big journey or a crazy journey, you know. Mm. And it's right now it's not so easy to beat that, you know. So yeah. I think that the, the challenge has to come from a, from a different um, area. And, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, that's really interesting you say that. Uh, it, there's something very exciting about the first time you do anything. And, uh, you know, somebody told me that when I stood on stage for the first time, make sure that I soak that moment in because there's nothing quite like that very first time you get to do something. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. Very, very true. So, you know, for those of you guys listening, if you have one of those moments, just make sure you enjoy it. You know, linger there just a little bit. Thomas, this has been just fascinating, uh, as I expected it would be, and uh, really, really inspiring and eye-opening. So uh, I want to close with my final question, which is how we close everything here at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? 
what makes someone unmistakable? I think it's just being true to yourself and allowing yourself to dream. Mm. Um, I think that's actually something that we have to practice to allow yourself to dream, to not censor yourself because you have learned that something is not possible, that something is not the way that it should be done. And just to ask a lot of questions and then just be true to yourself and do the, do the crazy things, go for them. Mm. Well, Thomas, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights and your story with our listeners here at The Unmistakable Creative. It's been my absolute pleasure to have you here as a guest. Thank you, Sweeney. It's been my pleasure to be here. Yeah. And for <laughs> those of you guys listening, we'll link up uh, you know, some of the things that Thomas has mentioned. So definitely come and visit the website and we'll wrap with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.